Hello, and welcome to the special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Today, we will be opening up the Salt and Light Treasure Vault and pulling out some of our favorite conversations from the beginning of 2020. We begin by speaking with Barbara Nicolosi, who wrote the screenplay for the new feature film based on the story of Fatima. And then we meet singer-songwriter John Trabick. In our second half hour, we have a feature conversation with Catholic author and artist Michael O'Brien. And at the end of the program, we reconnect with Marie Miller, who tells us about her new album, Little Dreams. Remember to visit us at saltandlighttv.org if you're not able to listen to the full show. We begin now with Fatima, the film. I'm pretty sure that most of you are familiar with the story of the apparitions at Fatima, Portugal. In 1917, Mary appeared to three shepherd children over a period of six months. There's been a few films made on the Fatima story, and this year there is a new one. And I'm very excited about this film. It stars Harvey Keitel and Sonia Braga and Joaquim de Almeida. Um, The trailer looks amazing. And I'm even more excited because the screenwriter is Dr. Barbara Nicolosi. And so to tell us more, I'm now joined by Dr. Barbara Nicolosi. Um, Barbara, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been a few years. It has been. I was trying to think. You were <laughs> you were still living in in L.A. at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, th- okay, so there's been a few Fatima films, three or four. Mm-hmm. Um, why why do we need another one? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think the um, the Warner Brothers movie, which the uh, is the kind of famous one from the '50s, which they, yeah. they made you know a ton of money on. Um, it it was more a kind of a general family, uh, you know. Film for children, you know, very kind of a sentimental. It was on that whole wave of movies that were made about the Bible or yeah. spiritual topics, you know, like the robe and things like that. And they were yes. they weren't particularly profound, um, but you know, nice. Um, <laughs> I think the pick of that lot was, uh, and in fact, a completely different caliber movie was the Song of Bernadette. You know, uh-huh. that yes. that was a very profound you know, kind of grown-up movie. About the Lourdes apparition. Right, yes. about Lourdes, yeah. But so there was that one. And then 13th Day was a lovely mm, little project, um, mm. but it it um, it was small. They just didn't have the budget. You that know? was a so, documentary? Was that a film or a documentary? It was a film, yeah, um, okay. but, you know, it was um, it was a very, you know, kind of small budget, and, mm-hmm. and they didn't really get, uh, get it out there that much, you know. But, you know, in Catholic circles, it got some play. Yes. Uh, but there really was a need to do a more a mainstream kind of real budget mm-hmm. uh, movie uh, to tell the story of Fatima. And, you know, originally we'd been shooting for the 100th anniversary. Yeah. But what's funny <laughs> is, you know, we had this delay and we thought we reckoned that a failure until now we're in the weirdest I know. time of all. And it feels like the movie is perfect for 2020. I know. You know? <laughs> well, t- Barbara, tell me a little bit about that. Why? Why? I mean, I know that the Spanish flu in 1917. Yeah. Is, is that the connection or are there more? Well, that's one, right? I mean, so the movie, the Spanish flu really hits hugely in 1918. Um, yeah. And, but you have World War One, and the ravages of World War One basically unleash the the flu, you know, in the trenches, and then yeah. it kills 50 million people. I know. I uh, we're sitting here, you know, because of tens of thousands infected, et cetera, and, you know, God willing, yeah. uh, it'll be ever to be manageable, but really, I mean, 10 50 million, million I know. people. I know. Uh, it, it's unthinkable. I know. So that, that was going on, but you also had just the tremendous um, instability of 
uh, the times, a political polarization, very much like what we have. Uh, you have the left and the right, the you know the socialists slash Marxists um, against people who are you know individually individually centered and and theological, right? Scripture, spiritual people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, in the same time, the Fatima is unfolding. In fact, uh, the ra- the real story, like uh, I think six months before the children saw the angel of peace, mm-hmm. uh, the, a priest in a neighboring village had been dragged out into the center of the square and beaten to death by oh, wow. communists in Portugal, really? uh, because the tension was so hard between the church and the, and the Marxists, you uh-huh. know, they were sweeping through. So we have that, too, uh, going right. on, this yes. terrible, terrible polarization. Yeah. Um, and so it's kind of weird how all these things are coming to a head in this moment and we have this message from a hundred years ago. That is, yeah, um, yeah, w- that waiting is still for us relevant. There. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, I think that something else that's a little well, so, that's different is that uh, Sister Lu- Lucia is no longer alive. Yes, and that um, Jacinta and uh, Francisco have been canonized. Mm-hmm. So, how does that change the telling yeah. of the story? No, it definitely elevates it, right? You know, uh, I mean, especially the canonization of the two children. And um, but yeah, Lucia, um, you know, uh, her her moving on into heaven. Mm-hmm. That you know, definitely. Okay, now the story belongs to the ages, you know. And mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. I think the question, you know, the interesting thing about Fatima is, you know, Lucia. Everybody was aware of her her whole life. Uh, because of Fatima, right? Mm-hmm. But you have other, you know, kind of tales of apparitions going around where the seers go in and out of, um, you know, right. <laughs> of public yeah. attention, yes. right? But yes. Lucia was always on everyone's radar, you yeah. know, in the church um, yes. as being the the last witness of mm-hmm. Fatima, and mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I think that uh, the stakes are high. That the church has spoken very for- um, authoritatively and saying. Um, you know, let pilgrimages come hither, and these yeah. children were saints. Yes. Um, and so that, uh, you know, that's a good moment to kind of look at what was it that transformed this little group of kids who were normal, you know, silly mm-hmm. little liking mm-hmm. to dance and mm-hmm. wanting, mm-hmm. you know, wanting more sugar yeah. uh, into doing uh, unbelievable sacrifices. The, if you ask me, the biggest miracle at Fatima wasn't the son hmm. it was the transformation in the children that they become these heroes of mortification and and uh, sanctification that they're suddenly completely focused on heaven and hmm. getting there and and on re- doing reparation for sin um, right. and they're you know six eight and t- eleven yeah. or something you yeah. know <laughs> yeah. i mean it, it's uh it's astounding yeah um, the producers of the film are not Catholic. In fact, I read that they they weren't even familiar with the Fatima story um, at first. How how is this story relevant to non Catholics? Mm-hmm. Well, actually, um, so some of the producers are Catholic, some were Christian, right? Some were kind of nothing. Okay. Um, but you so you have a, a kind of mix there. But one of the things that I found with the Europeans who came on board. Uh huh who weren't necessarily, they don't identify as Christian, but they're very aware of Fatima. You know, Fatima as a place of pilgrimage is is in the European consciousness. Mm-hmm. It has been for a mm-hmm. hundred years. And, you know, along with Lourdes, it's probably the most um, 
you know, frequented site of pilgrimage in Europe. Mm -hmm. So um, they they are proud of it as that. And, and to tell the story behind the shrine is one of the things the director said to me. You know, I want people to know the story behind the shrine. So okay. it's like, okay, good. Um, but when you talk about other relevance, you know, I mean, I think I think that you could say there's probably three points. Um, one would be that that Fatima gives us a note of hope in a time where uh, we we don't have it. And even if I had a, I had a guy say to me in L.A. once, uh, he was a TV critic for the L.A. Times, and he said to me, even if you people are wrong, you know, he meant Christians, yeah. right? That we need you in this business because you bring a note of hope. It's so true. And I think that the Fatima story really brings a note of hope, right? It's that somewhere there is a God and he loves us, mm -hmm. and he is mourning how far, you know, we have wandered into our, into our sin, and it's causing us so much misery, and specifically the misery of war, right? You know, that, that this absence of peace um, is the, the fruit of the way that we've been living. Mm -hmm. So that's the second point that I would make, that we have this yearning for peace in our hearts. Well, Fatima was a message of peace, right? In fact, the angel... Yeah. When he first came to the children, that's how he identified himself. I am the angel of peace, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so you say, okay, well, um, what is it that Fatima has to say about peace? And I think that for Christians or non-Christians, Catholics or not, the, the message is you have to have peace in your own heart before you can ever have it in the world. You know, that war is just an expansion of the disorder of the soul. Yes. And so that um, problem of well, what is it that leads to peace? And the movie suggests it's reconciliation, mm -hmm. that we have, to, um, we have to forgive one another. We have to live in the constant awareness that we are going to mess up, but that um, we ultimately are worth more than our screw-ups, and mm -hmm. that we have to be, forbear one another, right? So, right. Uh, so this message of repentance, um, you know, from the uh, wandering, uh, going our own way, you know, I, I think that that is relevant regardless of whether you're mm -hmm. a Christian or not. Yeah. You know, and then finally, I would say Fatima has a message about pilgrimage, right, that uh, there's a line in a movie called Sabrina, where she says, a famous movie with Audrey Hepburn, and uh, she says, Paris is always a good idea. Uh -huh. And what she means uh -huh. by that is, you know, <laughs> to go kind of pack yourself up and to go trudging to a holy place uh, occasionally in life restores us to what, we've, what we should value, gives us a new sense of mm. what matters. Um, and Fatima, as a place of pilgrimage, is that. Mm -hmm. you know? And when I went there myself, you know, I thought I was just doing research on a screenplay, but I ended up, you know, I was in the middle of a, kind of a bad breakup, and, and then suddenly I found peace there. <clears throat> which I wasn't expecting at all. Even being a Catholic, growing up with all this stuff, I, I didn't feel, I didn't uh, give credit to the power of the place and the action of going on pilgrimage. So the idea of, especially when everyone is in quarantine, mm -hmm. um, to say 
pilgrimages will be back in our lives, and it's good to go on pilgrimage, you know? Yeah. Um, I think that's yeah. a good message yeah. uh, for everybody to hear. Okay, wow, I did not expect that one, but um, but it's so true that we need hope and peace always, um, especially now. Um, I was going to add that, that one thing that I think is different is that the screenwriter is not someone who is outside of the church. So mm-hmm. I think that that's going to make a huge difference. I'm really looking forward to watching the film, Barbara, and thank you for for participating in telling the story and for telling us a little more about that today. It's a story of hope, and I think people will welcome it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Dr. Barbara Nicolosi, she's the screenwriter of the new film Fatima, which is now scheduled to be released on August 14th. Um, if you missed any part of this interview or to listen to it again, go to saltandlighttv.org. Here now is our featured Artist of the Week, John Trabek, with Broken Vessels from his new album, In Awe. I have wandered so far From your love From your love But you brought me To your heart To your heart Lord, take my life It's all I have to offer For you are God And I am not Lord, help me be a perfect vessel for you are God and I am not Lord help me take the road less travel when I travel down at your feet as your love washes over me Lord take my life it's all I have to offer you are God and I am not Lord help That was John Trabick with Broken Vessels from his album In Awe. 
John Trabick is a singer-songwriter and worship leader based in Ohio. A graduate of Franciscan University in Steubenville, he has been leading worship for thousands of people all over, sharing his music and mission with others. His first album was titled The Journey. That was in 2014. And now, thanks to many supporters, he has a new album that we've been listening to in awe. This album includes six prayers that John hopes will help people in the church to be more real, more honest, more authentic in the way they pray and encounter God. And to tell us more, I am very happy to say that we're now joined by John Trabick. John, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Hey, thanks so much for having me. So uh, I'm assuming you went to, to Steubenville. So were you always, did you grow up in a Catholic household? You were Catholic growing up? I did. I did. So grew up cradle Catholic. Yeah. Um, uh, I, so and I was homeschooled as well. So oh my I gosh! That, oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we would go to mass several times during the week and on the weekend. Oh, uh, that's great. Yeah. How many? Yeah. Si- how many siblings? There's like four so or five I have of you, two right? Brothers and a sister. Okay, so we're all super five close of you. in age. Yeah. So, yeah. Nice. So I grew, up, grew up Catholic and. Uh, Never thought I would go to Franciscan University, but the Lord had me end up there, so it was a blessing. That's great. That's great. And was it was it a musical household? Like uh, you weren't all like the singing homeschooled farm kids or something? No, we were not. I'm actually so several of my siblings sing for church and stuff. Yeah, I'm really the only one that's kind of kind of went that direction. Right. And was that something that happened uh, like as an adult, or were you as a as a teenager? So it was in high school. In high school. Um, so I think for myself growing up, like Catholic and in a Catholic household, um, I definitely struggled with pride a lot. Hmm. So at, at a point, I was kind of at a point in my faith where I was like, I'm good. I don't really need any more. Hmm. And I remember somebody's like, you should go to a, uh, you should go to this conference and just check it out. And I I ended up going Mm -hmm. kind of against my will. And while I was there, heard praise and worship music for the first time in my life. And up to this point, I was the lead singer and drummer in a rock band. We did everything like Chili Peppers, uh, Jimi Hendrix, all that stuff. I never heard of praise and worship music. And I remember the first time I heard it, it was like, this music is so cheesy. Yeah. yeah. For some reason, it is speaking to my heart in a way that no other music has ever done wow. so. So when you went to um, mass, sorry, when you went to mass and church, you, that's not the kind of music they were playing in your church. No, I grew up in a very traditional church. Uh, okay, okay, okay. And did you sing? So, kind of, so you didn't even you you were a drummer, but you didn't play ever play with a band in church or or sing no, in the choir. No. Okay, no. cool. So you, so that was a little bit of a conversion experience, even though you didn't leave the church? Oh. There was a little bit of a conversion oh. there? Extremely. Extremely. Like, in the way that the Lord worked. Yeah. Like, I left this retreat having an encounter with God that changed the direction of my life. At this Amen. point, I was planning on becoming a lawyer, and I left it is desiring to work in the church wow. and to use whatever musical gifts I had to wow. praise the Lord. So I came back, taught myself how to play guitar, started writing music. Wow. And then God just gave so many opportunities to start leading worship, uh, which became and still is one of the greatest joys in my life is just getting to pray with people with music. So. Okay. And what what did you study in college? So I studied catechetic theology. Okay. And okay. So you, you already so. were thinking that's what I'm going to focus on. 
ministry. Yeah, so at, literally from that point in high school, yeah. my desire to work in the church came and was like, all right, Lord, I want other people to encounter the same love that I've encountered through you. That's awesome. And that was kind of what he put on my heart. That's awesome. Now, were you, uh, you were a musician, you were a drummer, you were playing with a band, but were you composing? Were you writing music at all? So at this point, I was not. Okay. No. So after that, as I learned how to play guitar and listened to praise and worship more and realizing that it was the scriptures and what makes praise and worship music so beautiful is the words. It's the scriptures coming alive and yeah. being written upon our hearts. Then all of a sudden, prayers just started coming and I started putting music to them. And so that whole composing these songs and, right. and allowing them to just come out naturally in times of prayer uh, began. And uh-huh. that kind of, that process continued to grow from to the first album in 2014 and then to this right. most recent album in awe. Right. So. Okay, so if, if anybody's joining at this time, you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro, and we're speaking with uh, singer, songwriter, and worship leader, our featured artist, John Trabick. Um, so so tell me a little bit about kind of what led you to that first album, The Journey. Were you, yeah. were you, were you kind of writing songs and it seemed like, oh, this is kind of like, it's your journey? Or, or was it, did you know so, you were going to write an album? No. So <laughs> I began writing, and so I was still in college while at this point when I had started yeah. writing in awe, or the journey. And I just, that scripture passage from Jeremiah 29 11, uh, for I know the plans yeah. I have for you, says the Lord, yeah. plans for your welfare, not for war, plans to give you a future yes. and a hope. And that scripture passage was just on my heart mm. for several years. And just realizing that, like, the Lord, if we're still here, he's got a plan for us. And if we're here, he has something good and filled with hope in store for us. And I think that's some, that was a message that I wanted to reinforce in whatever way I could. Hmm. And so these songs and these prayers in my heart that were coming about really started to develop the beginnings of that album right. and those songs on that album. So. And that was so, but then it took you six years to to get to to the next album, or I guess five yeah, years. Yeah, um, there was a bit of a break in between that. But is that because so, because you you weren't writing, or you didn't think that there was an album in there, or were so, you constantly writing? Well, so there was a time where I wasn't. So I've been married for three and a half years. Oh have yeah, two beautiful kids. Yeah, and so during that time. And during that transition and the dating process and all right. of that, was trying to figure out the balance yep. of, is this what the Lord's calling me to do mm-hmm. versus something that I just want to do? Mm-hmm. And so trying to figure out where leading worship and writing music fit into that took some time. Mm-hmm. And uh, what was really cool is there came a moment in leading worship and traveling and doing all that where I was just like, Lord... If this is not going to help me be a father and uh, be right. a, a good husband, then take it away. Right. And I remember uh, there was a time where I needed to stop. So mm-hmm. I took about a year off, and in that year, God just like restored the vision for it with my wife Jessica, mm-hmm. and like the beauty that's come about from it. Then just launched it in into the past two three years of just writing and writing and just all of these prayers and all these things coming about and this new album 
So. Yeah. And and so I, I don't want to give anything away because I want people to go and, and actually purchase the album. We've been hearing some of the songs, but it's based on six prayers or each song is a different prayer. Are these prayers that were kind of your prayers throughout this period? Or yeah. So, is, yeah tell so us absolutely. a little bit about that. So these, so these six songs, um, the reason that the album is titled In Honor is because over the past several years of my life, there's been things that have brought me in awe and wonder of God. Mm. And those are some of the most memorable moments just in my relationship with the Lord, where like I'm in learning more about Him and coming to know Him more, mm-hmm. being in awe and wonder of Him, and just allowing Him to work in supernatural ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just so much joy that comes from that. And I realize that I think that's something that the Church can continue to grow in, is just being in awe and wonder of the glory and the majesty and the love and the mercy of God. Right. And so these six songs really are moments and prayers that I pray in just being in awe and wonder of God. Wonderful. Um, and just in who He is, just being in awe of Him, uh, and allowing that and those moments to, to renew me and allow the Holy Spirit to come back alive in me and to use me again. Yeah. So that's really where these prayers huh. have come from. There's been a lot of prayer, like songs that I've written, but these six right. felt like they were more than just for me. Mm-hmm. That they were songs for the church um, to be able to sing and pray with and encounter the Lord with. So that's really where the motivation behind, okay, time to get back into right. the studio. Beautiful. Uh, and, and allow these to come. So Yeah, that's great. And I and I suspect that that kind of makes sense, that, that the closer we get, the more we encounter we the, that place of awe. Some people might say it's yeah. fear of the Lord, awe and wonder. Right, um, right. Is is where we need to go. That's beautiful. Thank you, uh, thank you, John. It's been good uh, chatting with you and meeting you and listening oh, to you. I really like the music. I, I I trust that our listeners are gonna also uh, be enjoying the music that we've been hearing and that they can uh, go and get some more. And I and let us know when you're doing more stuff so we can get you back on the program. Oh, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. No worries. Thank you. God bless. You can learn more about John Trabick and purchase his music or book him for your event at his website, johntrabickmusic.com. I'm going to put that on our site, saltandlighttv.org, in case uh, you forget it or you don't know how to find it. Um, And that's exactly where you need to go to listen to this interview again or for the rest of the program, saltandlighttv.org slash radio. Here now is John Trabick with the title track of his new album, In Awe.
Listening to John Trabek with In Awe from his album of the same name. This is a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Be sure to visit us at saltandlighttv.org. Coming up, featured conversations with author Michael O'Brien and singer-songwriter Marie Miller, so stay tuned. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. Most of you know author Michael O'Brien for his novels. He's written some 13 fictional novels and four works of nonfiction. He's probably best known for his series of apocalyptic novels collectively entitled Children of the Last Days, featuring Father Elijah as protagonist. But Michael O'Brien is also an artist painting in a neo-Byzantine style with a contemporary interpretation. In fact, Michael O'Brien's latest book is a collection of his art aptly titled the Art of Michael O'Brien, published by Ignatius. And so, I'm very happy to say that we spoke with Michael O'Brien earlier this week. Michael, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you, Deacon Pedro. It's good to be with you. It's great to have you. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that most of our listeners know you best from your writing, because they probably have re- read some of your books. So I want to start a little bit about that. Um, w- why did you start writing novels? Well, I was uh, first and foremost uh, a painter of religious art, sacred okay. art, um, for a number of years. But uh, one day, oh, in the uh, late 70s, um, a story kept erupting in my imagination mm-hmm. as I was painting, and it, it just wouldn't go away. Hmm. Uh, and it was becoming a bit of a distraction. Um, I kept pushing it away as I painted. And then in the end, I decided I would... Um, I'll write it out, I said to myself. I'll write it out, and then it's out of my mind. Right. With, and I can get back to my painting with total focus. Right. Uh, that that book I first wrote was titled uh, A Cry of Stone. Right. Now, 20 years later, it was yes. published. <laughs> yes. But for most of my life, I've been a, a painter of, of okay. sacred art. Because I was going to ask you that. I wanted to know, you know, who, who, the chicken or the egg. Was there a paint, painting first? So you've answered that question. Um, but before I, because I, I, I want to ask you more about the painting, did, uh, how soon after that did you come up with the character of Father Elijah? Is that later? Oh, 20 years later. Really? Uh, Father Elijah I wrote, I believe, in 1995, and it was published in 1996 by Ignatius Press. So did you feel did you feel that after you finally wrote down A Cry of Stone and it got you know published or even before it got published you still had stories that kept popping up and you had to sort of get them on paper or I, I think on occasion that happened mm-hmm. I had basically said to myself there that's done yeah, right I, the manuscript may be found in a trunk in the attic someday by my grandchildren yeah 
I'm a painter. Mm-hmm. But the um, the eruption of the story of Father Elijah was a total surprise and came really as a, a nearly a total story in my imagination in, I think, late 94 or 95. Um, well, I was praying in front of the Blessed Sacrament, mm-hmm. very concerned about the condition of the Church in our country, mm-hmm. um, the condition of the world, and how how I was to bring my family, my wife and our six children, through these times mm-hmm. with, with faith and uh, hope. Uh, and as I was praying before the cross, before, before our Lord's presence in the Blessed Sacrament, a great stillness fell upon me, a great silence, and this whole story just poured into my imagination mm-hmm. as if given. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote it down as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I wrote it over a period of eight months. And every day I went to the Lord in the Eucharist and asked for the gift of uh, an angel of inspiration to help in the book's creation, and also the Holy Spirit, that it, that it be as God wanted it to be, given you know, all my flaws as a writer. Right. But that the best we could do with it, according to his holy will. And so that was, that was a huge surprise, and an right. even greater surprise was a year or so later when it was published. Right. It's uh it's interesting to me to hear you identify yourself or define yourself as a as a painter first. Um, cuz I mean we know you as an author. Did you uh, did you find that your art changed or your approach to painting changed because of the writing? That's a good question. I I think they're like two languages. Uh-huh. So I think being a painter so saturated in the visual art mm-hmm. uh, has influenced my writing. Uh, it's helped me to be more conscious, more sensitive of uh, writing a story in such a way that the reader hopefully will, will have a visual sense, mm-hmm. a richer visual sense. Mm-hmm. I think the writing has also helped my painting in, in the sense that to write, a, to write a good novel, you really have to have a certain clarity and, and a sense of uh, the form of the work, the shape of the work. Mm-hmm. It's, its essential meaning has to be communicated clearly. Uh, so it's helped me to be more focused in some of my, my paintings, to be more sensitive right. to design and form. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. Did you... Because a lot of your paintings, I mean, they, they're described as Byzantine iconography style, and and I can see that, especially with with, with the paintings that I'm familiar with. But did, how did you end up, uh, I guess, painting in that style or being influenced by that style? That's a very good question. Again, uh, well, when I first began to paint sacred art, I felt very called and was very confirmed in the path of becoming a writer of icons, a, a painter of icons. Right, yeah. And for seven years, most of my work was classical Byzantine iconography. Uh-huh. But as my uh, church commissions and other commissions uh, came in, uh, I was asked to paint more and more Western style. Mm. Now, I uh, Western post-Renaissance technique yeah. and 
um, and style. So I didn't want to lose what the icon had taught me. That is, that a, a work of art that's to glorify God must be created in a spirit of profound reverence. It has to be mm-hmm. uh, the fruit of prayer and, uh, and fasting, if possible. Mm-hmm. So that is how icons are made, mm-hmm. not just another artwork. Mm-hmm. You know. So in the Western stream in my painting, I have uh, always continued to try to live uh, the spirituality of the icon, and I think that translates to some degree in in the work itself. Um, there, there is a strength. There are sometimes Byzantine forms. Yeah. But the bulk of my work is is not. You can't call it icons. They are not icons. They are certainly. They're yeah. Shaped by iconography. Yeah. But I'm I'm fascinated to hear that you're, the process for you. You're not maybe writing an icon, but you're still. It's still a work of prayer. Um, would you say that then your hope is that that painting, even though it's not, quote unquote, an icon would still have the same effect in the viewer in terms of leading them to God and leading them through prayer or helping in their prayer? It's my hope that to some degree Mm -hmm. that happens. Um, The theology of the icon, the the pure icon, the true icon, is such that um, we see it in the Eastern Rite Catholic churches Mm -hmm. and in the Orthodox churches. Uh, We see it as, the icon is closer to a kind of Sacramental. It's, it's right. a meeting point with Christ. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a portal or a window. Mm-hmm. Now, I would hope some of that also happens, that the grace is given by God when a person is standing in front of one of my non, non-iconographic paintings. Mm-hmm. So here, here's what I think happens, if you've got a minute to hear it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I... I think all authentic art, all art that is true and beautiful and virtuous, uh, whether it's explicitly religious or implicitly religious, if it is true and beautiful and good, it has a kind of authority, it has a kind of uh, voice that reaches into the heart and soul of those who look at it. And it's a very mysterious process. Hmm. Now, in our frantically, frantically busy age that we live in, this endlessly noisy culture, mm-hmm. it's very hard for people to find true silence, a kind of peaceful interior silence. Right. But a work of art can call people to that, a moment of attention, attention, and a kind of silence before a mystery. Mm-hmm. And if the grace is given, and if the grace is received, uh, that person can move from silence to a kind of wonder over the mystery of the of the subject matter mm-hmm. being painted, and then from wonder they may move to a kind of reverence. Mm-hmm. And in the highest forms of art, that is speaking of the things of God, uh, that reverence can lead to worship, to prayer, to worship. Amen. That's beautiful. That, that's yeah. my hope. Wow. That, yes, and I and I and I think it's more than a hope, Michael, because I do think that those graces 
through your work, the graces are received and people are moved not just to silence and wonder and reverence, but definitely to worship. And I would say that your novels do the same thing, although, as you said, it's a completely different uh, language, but, but they're icons in a sense, too, because that's your, your intent. Mm-hmm. Thank you. That's all the time we have, but thank you so much for uh, speaking with us today and sharing a little bit, but so much <laughs> of what you do with us so far, and, and we hope that there's more to come. Thank you very much, Deacon. God bless you. Thank you. That was a conversation I had with Michael O'Brien earlier in the week. You can find Michael O'Brien's books, including The Art of Michael O'Brien, at Ignatius Press. And I have to say that Michael O'Brien's paintings of the Stations of the Cross are featured in a Stations of the Cross devotional airing during Lent on Salt and Light TV and available at saltandlighttv.org slash Lent. Here now is Marie Miller with Brave New Step from her new album, Little Dreams. Paralyzing fear keeps me standing The ground I know is no longer safe And I can feel the shake in this foundation Telling me that I just can't stay I can't stay here I don't have the answers I wish that I had At the end of these questions It's one brave new step And I don't have tomorrow Just one more deep breath At the end of my sorrow It's one brave new step
That was Marie Miller with Brave New Step from her new album, Little Dreams. We spoke to Marie Miller very recently, about five months ago. She had been working on a new album, and uh, she allowed us to play a few songs as a teaser. The new album is called Little Dreams. It's the one we've been listening to. And this is Marie's second independent album after the success of Letterbox four years ago. Um, and as you can tell from what we've been listening, Marie Miller's music is a beautiful blend of folk, pop, country. I love the mandolin. And uh, I'm very excited about this new album. And so to tell us more, we're now joined on the phone by Marie Miller. Um, Marie, welcome back to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you. It's so great to be back. I know, I know. Um, so uh, you told us last time, um, but for those who maybe missed it, why Little Dreams? What's what's the theme of this album? Yeah, so my idea was that oftentimes when I was working um, and on my on my on, you know on my music, I would think about quantity of people that heard it, and okay, I you know I wanted the whole world to hear this music, right? And um, what I realized is that really my interactions with with someone, it was just one person, like performing, and if it touched them and moved them, that it was extremely important and, and valuable. And I think sometimes we can see our our dreams and our joys and our passions as not being enough unless they are like radically successful right. and exactly how we need them to be. But really, it's uh, just the, you know the idea, you know, starting with Saint Therese and Mother Teresa carrying on, where it's do um, little things with great love. Mm-hmm. Right. So everybody has those little dreams. They don't have to be huge for them to be important. Um, is it true that this album came out for you out of a period of doubt and fear? Because I feel, I feel like a lot of people are, are, that's what they're going through right now. So can you t- talk, tell us a little bit about that? Yes. Yeah. It's, it's amazing um, to see. I never, of course, would have dreamed uh to release this album at this time. It's kind of basically the worst possible time <laughs> to release because you can't see people and you perform can't do, for them. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but but I, I'm amazed. But why, like, and I know that there's, there's a purpose in this because it was written in a personal time of fear and um, anxiety and not sure, like, should I continue to make music? Um, is God really calling me to this? Uh, does it even matter? You know, I just re- left my record label and I wasn't sure what to do. Mm-hmm. And I've been carried this whole time um, by just everything, every step of the way I've been provided for. And so even though I'm kind of in a similar but different spot, just like all of the world is right now, um, wondering what's going to happen and trying to stay safe and healthy, is that, you know, maybe, you know, my my friend said to me, "Should this was made for such a time as this?" And mm-hmm. so I, I hope that it brings uh, peace and joy and courage to those who hear it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it will. Um, because listening to it doesn't make me feel like it's coming out of a place of doubt and fear. But but I love the idea that we can hold on to our little dreams especially in times like these. And of course, we're holding on to bigger things, which which also makes me think that you, and we've talked about this before, that your music doesn't scream to me, you know, Jesus, Christian music, um, but it is very much rooted in your faith. And and so tell me about a little bit about that, because you do consider yourself a Christian artist, but your music is, I think, is more, can I say that it's more secular than Christian? Yeah, what I always say when people ask me, like, are you a Christian artist? Are you a Catholic artist? And I'll say, I'm a, 
uh, a Catholic Christian uh, and an artist. Uh, so, so even though I've been blessed to perform at so many Catholic events, mm-hmm. and I really just write music that's from my heart, and my heart is filled with, with you know, love for Jesus. Yeah. So it comes out. Yeah. And but but yeah, I said like, there's songs on this record again about love, about friendship, about family, about yeah, wanting to follow your dream, which, mm-hmm. you know, for a secular person, they're just thinking, oh, that's, I can relate to that, but maybe for yeah. someone Catholic might see it in a different way. Right, right. Um, musically, would you say that there's uh, something different about this album as well? Did you want to go kind of more acoustic for a reason? Yes, I really did. So when I was 15 and I got signed to a record label, I was playing the mandolin, I was playing bluegrass music, and mm-hmm. I kind of left that. Uh, the, you know, we definitely had some folk elements, and I'm really proud of the music we made, but it was more pop, and I wanted a return uh, to myself, uh, lyrically and musically. Mm-hmm. Who am I today? But also who I was when this all began, when the little dream began. And hmm. I just love, yeah, I just love folk music and I love playing it and so I wanted to make sure that there was just a lot stronger elements of that no, in this album. Yeah, and and there are and and you're not not only do you love doing it but you're good at it and and you sound great. Um um you said that it's difficult to to release an album during this time um because you can't I mean you can't have like a release concert but uh, you can you can do a lot of home concerts which is what some people are doing. Um, and I, I want to talk to you about what the, those challenges are for you as an artist. And, and maybe it's a plug for all our listeners to, you know, go and support Catholic artists because their events are being canceled and that's how they make a living. So um, I know you're doing home concerts or you've done some. Uh, I don't know. Are they can you call them concerts? Are you, uh, and, but I also, I also know that you're doing music lessons. Tell us about that. Yeah, so we have done virtual concerts in two now. We did a, a concert when we decided to cancel the shows kind of early on before social distancing was um, kind of universal. But I uh, decided, and it was really a hard decision because I had my band from Nashville mm-hmm. at, at uh, my house in D.C. And I just had to say, sorry, guys, um, oh, wow. we're going to do something different. And so they went home the next day and... Uh, that was that was hard. I actually had prayed to Saint Therese on, on like what I should do, and it was really crazy because my friend like brought me roses that night, uh, like dozen pink roses. Wow. Like, whoa, that's so cool. Uh, so being taken care of. So then I've done an album release party where I've called in guests yeah. um, that are all at home, and I am yes, like so. It's been really beautiful over the years. Uh, I've I've done some songwriting camps uh, for kids, and people will always ask like teach and I just can't because I travel too much uh-huh. um, so this is kind of a cool unique opportunity where if you are like aspiring songwriter or vocalist or guitar or mandolin player uh, you can learn um, from maybe people you never would learn from because we're generally traveling right. so we can't teach so yeah so I am teaching and all that information is on my, my uh, social media stuff but uh, okay. yeah we'll, we'll do we'll do a lot more virtual concerts uh, you know as you know over these next couple months Okay, good. So the, all that information, people can get it on your website, on your social media. Um, are you, I guess you're at home, you're with your, your parents and your siblings. Um, are you having more time to write? Are you writing already or is that not even possible now? Because it's... Mm. Um, 
Yeah, well, I actually wrote a song in like an hour, and uh-huh. I really, really like it. I never can do that uh, the other day. Oh, yeah? That's the, on- <laughs> the only thing I've done, and I almost just want to like put it on just lines with this book. I could say, here's my, here's what I'm trying to do. Yeah, I you should. Creating? Yeah, no, I, I, I think I'm going to get there. I think I've, I've started, the new normal has started to come to mind uh, a little bit more, but at first I was so kind of shaken by it losing so many shows and yeah. and trying to figure out what we're going to do and, and and even though we still don't know if we're going to play this summer or what's going to happen mm-hmm. it's it's i've kind of digested it and just you know just know that i'm being taken care of where i think at the beginning i was just like whoa <laughs> what's going on but I'll, so i think I'll, i'm going to start writing soon yeah okay so it's not like i'm not that i'm pushing for a next album yet okay well you you can take a little breather and enjoy this one um as i am um again marie thank you for for sharing a little bit of of what you do with us today and and for this wonderful album um uh, i i know it's going to bring uh hope to a lot of people and uh and they can uh maybe take some lessons with you maybe maybe i should sign up i want to learn how to play the mandolin love that okay that would be so much fun anyway take care enjoy your family um and uh we'll we'll see you we'll see you on the other side sounds good you okay take care too. thank you so much and happy easter you too happy easter you can learn more about marie miller and purchase her music at her website mariemillermusic.com you can also find her as she said um on all the social media platforms that she loves and to listen uh, to this interview again or for the rest of the program you can go to saltandlighttv.org or just look for the salt and light hour wherever you get your podcasts here now to uh, take us out is marie miller with wayfaring stranger from her new album little dreams There's no sickness, no toil, no danger In that great land in which I go listening to Marie Miller with Wayfaring Stranger from her album Little Dreams. And that brings us to the end of this special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. Remember to visit our website, saltandlighttv.org, and remember that you can also podcast the Salt and Light Hour wherever you get your podcasts. Send comments, feedback, or questions. You can send them to me via Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. I'm Deacon Pedro.
aren't steep But beautiful fields lie just before me As God's redeemed, they're the jewels keep I'm going there to see my Savior I'm going there 